Well, let's, let's pray and get right into this. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your great love. And Lord, as we're here on the earth, uh, we, we just thank you, God. I, I, I just, again, as Doug gave that word, I was just, re, just reminded, uh, and, and every once in a while, I just have kind of an active imagination of what heaven's going to be like. And thank God, it's not going to just be a long church service. We're going to be working, and the kingdom of God's going to be built. It's going to be phenomenal. And Lord, you have given us church services now, and you want us to come together to, be, to encourage each other to be equipped to do the works that you've called us to do to build the kingdom. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would receive from you, God, that we would have open hearts, open minds to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us, and give us ears to hear. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for this time together, for the family of God. And Lord, again, that we're all different, and that's awesome. And, uh, and that, Lord, you've created us uniquely and you have a calling upon each one of our lives. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we continue today, as you can see up on the screen, uh, living the transformed life, enduring to the end, and, and finishing well. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 12 again. So um, if you want to turn there, you can. Uh, I'll, again, I'll be kind of moving around in some different places, some different passages that we'll look at. Uh, but this is kind of our theme that we've been uh, in and we will be in for a while. But God desires that we finish our race well. Amen? He wants us to endure to the end. Once again, and this is a passage that has struck my heart more than once, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 is, is, is talking about the end times which is interesting because he had a lot to say about the end times. And he said, at the, you know, in the time of the end, he said, the love of many would grow cold. Then he, right after that, he follows that statement up by just saying, I want you to endure to the end. And here's the key. I don't want your love to grow cold. And that is a common theme. Uh, one of the letters of, uh, in Revelation, the church of Ephesus, where Jesus is writing these letters, he tells them, he said, he said, you've lost your first love. And he's calling them back to a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. When the church forgets that it's about a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, we have missed the boat and we've missed the point. Because so many in the world are looking to belong. They're looking for authenticity. They're looking for something real. And we have Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, or we should have him in our midst and as we see in the Gospels and as he walked the earth, people were drawn to his life. And I always kind of ask myself, Lord, where, where are we missing it? Because in today's society, people are not really drawn to the church, but shouldn't they be? And so I, I have to think that it's not his problem, it's our problem. And we need him in our midst and we need to love those and we need to reach those that are far away from God. And he wants us to finish our race well. You know, in the big scope of things, we don't have long on this earth. You know, even for some that are maybe fortunate, some maybe not, maybe they don't think it's fortunate to live to 100. You know, some, some people feel like that God forgot them or something when they get that, that, that old. But even if you're fortunate enough to live that long to 100, that's really in the big scope of things not that long. We do not have long on the earth. James calls our lives a vapor or a mist. It's kind of like if you have an aerosol can and you spray it and you see that, that, that first initial blast and you might have a little residue, but that's how James says in, in, in the scope of eternity, it's, it's like a vapor. It is a mist. And so the question is, what are we doing with the life that God has given us? How are we running the race and how does he want us to finish? But literally, we are here one moment, and then we are gone the next. It's amazing how quickly life can change. You know, at the beginning, I was going to pray, and I forgot, but uh, the, the, those storms that went through the southeast, again, you know, less than a year later after they, some of those areas were devastated by tornadoes. Again, 11 states the other day. Some of you guys watched the news. 11 states had tornadoes. My, our hometown was hit again. They were hit last year. They were hit again. In Tennessee, in Alabama was hit, in Mississippi, all those. And in a moment, so, you know, one town in Indiana, they said it's completely gone. And I think about 
you know, when, when they announced that and they were talking about it, they were describing the town, I was thinking about this area because it was a town of about 1900, so our Dawson people can kind of relate to that. It is a rural farming area, and an F5 tornado goes through that area. And it's about three quarters of a mile wide, and it's going through. I mean, th this is a massive, massive storm. And you think about if it hits any of these towns out here, which it could happen to us. How quickly life can change. And the other night when we were talking, uh, you know, our family, we were watching on the Weather Channel online, and they were giving updates, and we had a time of prayer. And, uh, you know, we prayed for these precious people. And, uh, and you know, and it was, I was just brought to my heart how quickly life can change. Here we are sitting in our living room praying. We're warm. We're about to go to bed. And these people, some of these people, they're, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do now and how quickly life can change. And I think God uses those. Obviously, he wants to use those moments. You know, I don't believe God, you know, uh, you know causes that storm to, to destroy lives. But obviously, there's an allowance. But what, how does he use it? He's trying to use it to get people's attention that he is the hope, that he is the answer. And our prayer must be to pray for these people that they would find Christ in the midst of this time. But also to use it for our lives. It's really easy out of sight, out of mind to say how quickly it can happen and life can change in a moment. And I said all that not to spawn fear in our hearts. That's not the point. But it is what Paul told the Ephesians church. Of, he said, make the most of every opportunity. Redeem the time you've been given because the days are evil. The days are that we're living in are dark times. Jesus in Matthew 24 said these things would just get worse and worse, like birth pains. They're going to get closer, more intense. Natural disasters, things are going to happen around. And so how should we find ourselves living? It's also very easy to just kind of think, well, I, you know, maybe I'm, I'm young and I've got lots and lots of years ahead of me. We, we're just not guaranteed tomorrow. You know, no one's guaranteed to live till they're, you know, mid to late 80s or 90s. We're just not. And so I want to finish well, whether my race is over sooner or later. But God wants you to finish well. He wants you to run the race that is set before you because he deeply, deeply loves you. And he wants you to finish well. Redeem the time. As I stated before, during this series, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 12, pivotal chapter it's about endurance. It's about living a life of faith and how we do that. And uh, we've been encouraged, you know, in, in the past we, past messages, we've been encouraged about uh, looking at those who've gone before us. Paul, uh, the writer at the beginning of Hebrews 12 says, therefore, he's talking about the, 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 the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And he's talking about those folks that finished well. And he said, you know, if they can do it, so can you be encouraged by their lives. Because the list, the list of lives that, that are in Hebrews 11, we should take great hope because Rahab, the prostitute's in there, Jacob, the deceiver, Noah, the drunkard, Abraham, the liar. I mean, you have all of these people that are broken and messed up, and they finished well, and they kept their eyes on the Lord and uh, God's heart for us. He says, therefore, if they did it, you can do it. Then we also looked at uh, sin when, when the writer of Hebrews says, cast aside the sin that so easily entangles your feet. And run the race with endurance set before you. And we looked at Cain and Abel when God told Cain, he said, subdue the sin. Be careful. If you're not doing what's right, watch out because sin's right at the door and it wants to master you. And so his encouragement is that we master the sin and we subdue it through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God. And so that brings us into today's message of, of, of enduring and finishing well of who is in control. I like it when preachers do this. So look at your neighbor and say, say this, you're a control freak. Go ahead. You can tell them. You can call them. Go ahead. Just get that out. Then say this, that's okay, because so am I. We're all control freaks, aren't we? Don't you feel like this is like kind of a time of therapy group session here? We can just get it all out there. and. Uh... <laughs> We're all control freaks, aren't we? Yes, amen. Yeah, don't get too excited about that. Our lives are a constant state of power struggle. 
You know, I read in Romans 7 last week, you know, Paul is talking about this, this, this battle that he faces. Here's the Apostle Paul. We should take great encouragement from Romans 7. And I read this last week, a portion of it. You know, he, he I, every time I read this, I just say, wow, you know, if Paul dealt with that, it's okay. Because he's saying, you know, I know what I need to do. Here's the stuff that I need to do. And he said, I find myself not doing that stuff. Over here's the stuff I know I shouldn't be doing, and I find myself kind of hanging out over here. And he's, he's talking about this battle that he faces. It's, he said, the sin that's in me, and there's a war that is raging. But what he's saying at the end of that, because he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me? Thanks be to God, it's Christ Jesus. Because then it goes into chapter 8, and he said, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And so what Paul is saying is you can't just have enough willpower. You can't have enough self-reliance to say, I'm going to muster up enough strength to, to, to not sin or, 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 or try to do the things I'm supposed to do. We can't do it. Because all of, all of sinfulness can be boiled down to the one thought is it's, a, it's an issue of control, isn't it? Every sin. Because sin basically says, I'm in control, I will make the decision, God is not in the driver's seat, he's not flying this plane, you know, the old bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot, it's like, tear that thing off, if he's not the pilot, you're in trouble, if he's not flying the plane, we've got a problem, God's my pilot, hopefully, and so all sin can be boiled down to this thing, who's in control, and that's where we, that, that's where we have that war and we have to lean on Jesus, and we have to walk with him, and we're all a little bit of kind of control freaks at times. And I'm here to ask you today, who's in control? And we're going to be looking at Hebrews 12 again, and the struggle that we're in, in our walk of faith, in our relationship with Jesus. It is going to be a process, or it should be, listen to this, of giving up control to him every day. You will have to wake up tomorrow and you will have to intentionally and purposefully give him control. Because as soon as we take control, as soon as we, I've got it from here, and that's why we're, we're so reliant on him in relationship. That's why he's more than our master. He is our friend and our savior. And he wants to walk with us in relationship. And so in our walk with him, in our relationship with him, and again, it goes back to love and a loving relationship with Jesus, that daily we will be giving up control of our lives to him, or we should be, allowing him to live his life in and through us in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill my life today. Take control of my life today. Help me today because without you, there's no telling what I'm capable of doing. And again, this is why we need the power of the Spirit and the Word of God as cornerstones in our lives. It's about, it's about that giving control, Lord, let me be controlled by that. And as I said last week, it's more than just self-reliance or willpower. If, if, you're, if you're trying to live your life and your faith out like that, it's just going to be frustrating. Because therefore, those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation, there's no shame, there's no guilt when you belong to Christ. When you blow it, that's the time where you, you know, that's the time you just give control back. Forgive me, because we have an advocate with the Father through Jesus. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and all he's looking for is your heart toward him. And then all of a sudden, Lord, forgive me, and he forgives because he's just and he's faithful to do that. And we continue to run to him every day. We run to him. But it's about control. I've said this before. Christianity will not and cannot be understood outside of a total, absolute, unconditional surrender and control of our lives to Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? Let me say that again. Christianity, it cannot be understood and it will not be understood outside of a total, absolute, unconditional control and surrender of our lives to Jesus Christ. That's the only framework in which Christianity works. It's total surrender, total control to him. And so our sin and our struggle boils down to control. It's a control issue. Who's in control of your life? 
And the answer to that question today, folks, it, it directly relates to how we will finish the race. Will you finish in control or will you finish with Jesus being in control? How do you want to finish your race? Do you want to finish with regrets, pain, hurt, or joy, love, peace, contentment? There's a few guys that uh, I'm meeting with on Saturday morning, and we're, we're going through the book. It's called The Resolution. It's written by the two guys that, uh, the two brothers that, that, that put the movie out, Courageous, and they did Fireproof. And the book is called The Resolution, and it's based on the principles of that resolution if you saw the movie. But as, as I've been in this series and, and, and in this talk um, uh, about, you know, enduring to the end, chapter two of that book, he gives a parable, the, uh, or I guess there's two guys writing, but they give a parable in there that is so striking. And I want to share a little bit about, uh, 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 with that, with, with you. But the parable is basically this. I'm not going to read it to you, but he is painting a picture as you are looking at this older man. And, and, and it's like the Lord is taking you into this dark, musty, old hotel room. And you see this old man laying on this bed. And, it's, it's, and you see fear in his eyes. You see hatred. You see all kinds of things that have gone on in his life. And then he says, the Lord, the, the Lord tells you, he said, tomorrow this guy is going to die. And he's going to stand before me because I am a holy and just God. He would give an account for his life. But then what the Lord does is kind of like a, a flashback, you know, of, of over his life of what happened. And it shows them he was born out of wedlock. He was raised in a very hard home. His, his mom, you know, kind of went from man to man looking for, 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 for something. And he was raised in the, in this, in the uh, very horrible environment. And he became a kind of a survivor where he became a thief and he you know, stole to get what he needed, and he lived a very hard life, and he rejected the advances of God to his life and, and how God can transform and change his life. And, and you just see during this, this parable unfold this guy's life of decisions that he made. And he gets to the end, and he's about to die all alone with no one around him. And then the Lord says this. He said, let me show you what could have been. And so they flash back, and his mother does get pregnant out of wedlock, but, but he, uh, his father gets right with God. And the point they're trying to make is, that, is the, the point that they're making is the power of fathers in lives, the, the, the spiritual authority that a father has in his family. When this, 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 this kid is born and his dad gets right with God and his mom gets right with God, they begin to get involved in church and they surrender their lives and it shows him being raised in a godly home and where they're reading the word of God and, and he's being trained in the word of God to love Jesus. Then it, you see snapshots of his life when he's 13 or 14. His dad takes him out and he's going to talk to him about relationships and his dad even says, well, you know, your mother and I, we blew it. And even even talks about, you know, the, that God's redemption forgave them and they responded rightly to God. And you see this, this young man grow up and then he himself marries a godly woman. They have great kids. And then you fast forward and you see him on his deathbed surrounded by his kids and his grandkids. And there's tears of sorrow and there's also tears of joy of the legacy of faith and the, and the, and the wonderful love that this guy pulled, pushed down to his generations um, after him loving his children, loving his wife, loving his grandkids, and passing on a heritage of faith to them. And then the, in the parable, the Lord says, you know, these two scenarios are played out every single day. And as they wrote that, I was struck. I mean, I was reading this chapter. I was struck because he gets in and he said, which one do you want to be? How do you want to finish your race with pain, regrets, hurt, or a life that is lived under the redemptive power and grace of Jesus? The one that can give us life. The one that can give us hope. Folks, what kind of race do you want to run? Because 
we can run it with him or not. Who's in control? Let's look at the text. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. It's up on the screen if you want to look at that. We're going to be kind of focusing in on verses 2 and 3. We've been in kind of verse 1 for a while. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's those people in Hebrews 11, if they can do it, we can do it. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. We talked about sin last week. What do we do with it? And let us run with perseverance, that word perseverance, endurance, the race that is marked out for us. And that's just a word that we don't like to talk about much is perseverance and endurance because it sounds like pain. God calling. And he says this. Some translations say we do this by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter or finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer is in encouraging us to run with perseverance and endurance the race that is marked out for us. That should encourage every human being on planet Earth. You're included in that, by the way, if you're a human being on planet Earth. He has marked out a plan and a purpose for your life. Jesus has. He has marked out a plan and a purpose and a destiny for you and for me. But what he's saying is it's going to take perseverance. It's going to take endurance. It's not going to be easy. It's a day-to-day -day race. It's a race that he has marked out. It's a race that he has written for you. And just like Doug gave that word that we're all unique, we all have different stories. That's why we should never live lives that compare ourselves to each other. And some people have endured so much Tragedy, pain, abuse, hurt. Some people can't relate to some of that stuff, but they can relate to other things. And so we all have a race that's marked out for us. And, and, and of course, the, what the enemy tries to do is get us compared. It's like, well, it's not fair, or they don't understand what I've been through. And, and we may not, but Jesus does. He's marked out the race for you. He wants you to finish well, and he wants you to finish with joy. And he can redeem a life just like that. He can take years you've blown for 30, 40 years, and he can change it in a moment and change your track, and you can do more in a month than you wasted in 40 years. That's the kind of God we serve. Believe that for your heart. It can start today. It can start today. And he says that you know, you have to run with perseverance, endurance, and it's going to be day-to-day. -day. Just think about a race, and, 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 and here we're talking about a long-distance race. Then he gives the key. We do this by, some translations say, we do this by fixing our eyes. What that means is intentional life focus, intentional life focus on Jesus, the author, the perfecter, or finisher of our faith or the perfecter and developer of our faith. Another way to read this is this way. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We will only succeed at this if we live our lives focused intently day to day on Jesus who desires to be the author, developer, perfecter, and finisher of our faith. Did you hear that? Because he desires, these are the, these are the things that he desires to be for us. He wants to be your author and finisher. But I go back to this, who's in control? Who's in control of your life? We'll only succeed if we're focused on Jesus intently. Because another reason we've looked at sin, we've looked at uh, losing, you know, like uh, losing track of things, but another reason why so many don't finish well is that they lose focus or they get weary 
They lose focus or they get weary. That's why the writer is saying the way you succeed is to fix your eyes on Jesus. And what happens a lot of times is our focus gets shifted off of Jesus and onto other things. It can happen to anyone and it can be very subtle. I want you to look at uh, Matthew chapter 13, if you will. Matthew chapter 13. I don't have this up on the screen. I'm just going to read this for you if you want to listen on. We've always looked at this passage as kind of a passage about new believers, but I, I think Jesus is talking to us. And he, this is a, a passage that a lot of you will be familiar with, but uh, it is the parable of, uh, of, of the seeds, the farmer that's scattering the seeds. Now I want you to hear what Jesus is conveying through this message. I'm going to read the parable and then where he explains it. So 1 through 9 and then 18 through 23 as he explains it to the disciples. Matthew 13, 1. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into the boat. Then he sat there and he taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on the footpath. And the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on sh shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have any deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Jesus said that a lot. Anyone with ears to hear, listen and understand what he's trying to convey. Go down to verse 18 because he's going to explain this parable. Now listen to the explanation of the parable of the farmer planting the seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. That's why discipleship is so important to grow in the Lord. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. So problems come along, they get disheartened and they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth so that no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. He is talking about finishing well and not finishing well. One of the stories I told a couple weeks ago was a friend of mine, you know, and I, I, you know, those grieving stories of when people don't finish well, you know, we have them in our lives, they're going well, they're tracking along, and then, and then they just fall apart. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. We see it in scripture. Some of the most godly kings in the Old Testament would start well and then finish horribly. And I had that friend who, he very quickly had joy. He you know, loved the Lord, and uh, I, was, I was able to lead him to the Lord, and, and, and he was just so excited about God. And then the cares of this world, the lure of wealth, he began to get drawn into things, and then all of a sudden, you know, we didn't see him for a while. He got distanced, and then he just kind of fell off the edge of the cliff. And I don't know how he's doing now. I know he lost his marriage. After that, he lost, you know, wife, kids. It was just awful. And he's not walking with the Lord. And it so grieves me when you see those stories because Jesus, the heart of Jesus is to say, I want you to grow. I want you to become the person that I've created you to be. I have marked out a path, a race for you, but you're going to have to keep your eyes on me. But this passage that Jesus is talking about is a passage of endurance and bearing fruit in our lives. It's about focus. Notice he said that those don't finish well. They lose focus. They get focused on the cares of this world or something, persecution, something bad happens. And then what, what, what can we do? We, we, we get angry with God or the lure of other things, a lure of, of a relationship, anything that diverts our focus and our attention off of Jesus Christ. 
I have to have this. I have to something worldly, something that may not even be considered all that bad. It just it's just, it's just a refocus on something else other than Christ. That is why the writer says you can only do this. You will only succeed if you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. But we get in trouble when our focus gets on other things besides Jesus. We're in danger of tripping and falling. I've been there. And that's why it's a day-to-day. We have to day-to-day purposely give up control of our lives to him. Now, we have those obvious focus stealers. The cares of this world, worldly draws the sin, money, status, maybe problems or struggles or pain. And that's why I say don't compare yourself to others. Receive the race that Jesus has authored for you and then allow him to redeem it. It's like people like Johnny Erickson who you've said paralyzed from the neck down. She gets up every day racked with pain but filled with joy. She does not, she's not dictated by the pain. She's dictated by Jesus Christ authoring her life, and she's leading thousands and thousands to the Lord, and she walks with joy every single day. But this lady deals with a lot. It's Nick Vujicic, you know, born without arms and legs and was depressed as a child, but God got a hold of his life, and now he was living for joy, goes around speaking to hundreds and thousands of people, leading people to Christ because people say, whatever that guy's got, I want it because he should not be happy, yet he is. And they're running the race, fixed on their eyes on Jesus. But Jesus is saying, kind of asking us this question, who's in control and what did you sign up for? Because he said, you know, some of the seed falls down and it, and it hits with joy, but it just goes shallow. And then we lose focus and he's saying, what did you sign up for? Did you sign up for a relationship with me? Or did you just sign up for maybe benefits? Why do you want to be my follower? Jesus would, Jesus did not make it, you know, when he, when he would talk to potential followers, he didn't make it easy for them. The, the rich young ruler, you know, he said, go sell everything and come follow me. And this guy, and it says this guy went away sad because it said he had many possessions. And here's what you don't have, Jesus chasing after him, trying to make it easier for him. It just, Jesus had genuine love and compassion for this guy, but it says the guy walked away from Jesus. Here he has Jesus in front of him, and he misses out on the greatest blessing because Jesus was after his heart. Jesus is saying, why do you want to be my follower? If you forget that it's about love and relationship, you're going to miss it. But those times that we make unspoken deals, the if then, Jesus, if you do this for me, then I will follow you. I saw it in, in, when I did jail ministry. We called it Jailhouse Jesus. And these guys sometimes would make these unspoken deals, and we didn't know about it sometimes. And the guy that I worked with that did the, the jail ministry for many years, you know, he said there was times in there it was heartbreaking because these guys are growing and uh, living for the Lord in, in jail, and then they would get sentenced to maybe life imprisonment, and they would be so angry, and they would cuss him out. Said, whatever this Jesus of yours, I don't want him. And what, what they had done is, Jesus, I'll serve you if you will get me out of this. And they come to Christ and they have these conditions. And Jesus said, this has to be unconditional control and surrender. Sometimes it's legitimate, unmet needs that we might have. Sometimes it's just focused on the benefits. We maybe focus on the miracle. I need a miracle from Jesus instead of the one who gives miracles. That's why I love with Johnny Erickson. She says, I believe that Jesus can heal me at any moment. But my answer is not the miracle. My answer is him. That's where she's found the contentment. Because if we just focus on what we can get from him, the provision, the healing instead of him, it will lead us to great frustration. God said this to Abraham. He said, I will be your exceeding great reward. So where is our focus? We have to get it back on him. And I'm telling you, this is the key to contentment as we walk with him, that he becomes our great reward. If we get nothing but him, it's all worth it. This is why people in third world countries that are being arrested for their faith, 
And there, I don't know if it's true, but rumor has it right now that that pastor in Iran, I think, may have been executed. A lot of people have been praying for him. And I guarantee you this, and I know it's hard, and we need to pray for his family, but as he went from this life to, to the arms of Jesus, I guarantee you this, he would say it was all worth it. Jesus didn't rescue me out. He could have, but it was all worth it. Because he gets Jesus. He gets the prize. He's our hope. He's our destiny. He is our promise. Then the author, and I'm going to kind of wind it down here. Don't you love it when preachers say that? For my fourth closing, <laughs> the author in Hebrews 12 gives two descriptions of Jesus. He calls him the author and the finisher, the perfecter. You could look at it this way. You could call it developer or builder and author. If you're looking at kind of descriptions, he's, de he's called the author and the developer builder of our faith, or he wants to be those things. As our builder, we can be encouraged by this, that Jesus finishes what he starts. Philippians 1, 3 through 6 says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, and Paul's writing this from prison to the Philippians, he says, I, I always pray for it with, with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the promise we have in Christ, that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it in us. He desires to finish what he started. And so that then it, here's, the, here's the problem. Here's the crux. When we don't finish well, he's not the problem. We are. Because he wants to finish what he starts, but we have to give up control to him. He wants to build our lives as our builder and our developer. He wants to develop our lives in relationship and, and then finish strong with us. And so then as the builder, let me ask you this. Who's building your life? What are the building blocks of your life? Again, who's in control? When we're in control, the building is messy. There was a home builder when we lived out in Virginia. And one of our favorite things was to go with Athena's sister and her husband. And we would go do these tour of homes. You, anybody ever do that? It's a lot of fun. You get to look at houses that you can't afford. It's awesome. And it makes you either depressed or you excited about heaven. So, you know, the mansion's there. Maybe I'm going to have something like that or better, probably better. So we would go around and look at these, you know, do these tour of homes, even really, really nice, you know, million-dollar homes, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite was to go look at the, the man caves. You know, there's one where all these, these leather recliners with a big movie screen. They said the roo that room alone was like uh, $25,000. And I'm like, yeah, that's my kind of room, you know. Football game, you know, up on the, I mean, it was huge. And all these recliners and cup holders, it was a guy's dream. You guys know what I'm talking about. The guys are, they're just like, it's just rising up in you. I can feel it. <laughs> but there was, there was a, uh, there was a builder. It was, it was a family-owned business in Virginia. And, and the reason why I know this is because it was on the news, but because they started getting into some legal problems. Here's the reputation of that builder. They would build these nice, fancy homes, but if you begin to look closely, it was poor quality. They were beginning to have problems, major issues that would arise less than a year, and these people were buying these unbelievable homes. And so there were some legal problems with the builder. I mean, they got into a, a kind of a mess, and what they were doing was they, they had perfected making it look really, really good, and then for people that didn't really know what they were looking into, they'd buy these homes and then, and, and then they, would, they would be stuck with, with basically a home that was in shambles. And so there was some, they were going through some legal issues, but we, we saw a couple of their homes. And from a very lay person, as far as building, you know, I'm not going to be an inspector by any stretch. So if you want me to inspect your house, you're, I'm the wrong guy. But I'm going in there going, whoa unbelievable, you know, and then some of those homes were the homes that they were having problems with, issues, 
And as I thought about that story and I thought about what they would do, perfected, they perfected pulling off looking good instead of building a quality product. It's the difference between us being the builder and developer of our lives and Jesus. Because he wants to be the builder and developer of our lives. Because when we're building, don't we do that as control freaks? We at least want to pull off looking good. And we're afraid that people might see the real us if they get a little too close. So we, we put together a nice package. And I think that that's one of the major reasons why people don't feel drawn to church so much anymore is because they just feel like it's disingenuous. And, you know, they, they, they interviewed a lot of people. Why don't you go to church? And one of the top reasons was because I don't, I don't feel like that there's genuine authenticity there. It's because what we have done is we created kind of the club and we got, the, we got our members-only jackets on. Um, not the old 80s jackets. Some of you guys remember those. But I, uh, we, go, you know, we, get the, we get our jacket and we, and we pull off looking good. But the problem is, is deep down inside, we have issues. We have brokenness like everybody else. The only difference is that we've run to Jesus. And we need him and we realize we need him. Who's building our lives? What are the building blocks? I don't want to just, I don't want to live my life just trying to figure out how to pull it off and look good. God forbid that. Because some of these places, they were, some of the people that were winning in these lawsuits, you know, these builders were losing money. They had to go in and have to redo stuff. And they were getting hit hard. Pulling off looking good is not a quality that we should be working toward. That is not a spiritual gift, if you were wondering. But what are the building blocks of your life? Who's building your life? Who's in control? If it's you, good luck, as we talked about luck and blessing, because you're going to need luck. Because you're just, it's self-reliance, willpower, I'm going to try to do this. We won't, we won't do it. Because here's the building blocks that you'll run into. You'll be built by your past. Because if you're building it, the enemy gets to be um, uh, involved in that. Your upbringing will determine your, your building blocks. And, you, you know, and, and we begin to say, well, you know, I had this upbringing. And we begin to compare ourselves. And we, we, self-reliance becomes our building block. Human willpower. When Jesus is the master builder of lives, when we give him unconditional control to be the builder and the perfecter of our faith, we entrust him completely with our lives then he will come and he will transform us. He will build us by the power of his spirit. Who wants the building blocks of your life to be the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God? I'll take that. But then he puts in love and joy and peace and contentment and integrity and courage and passion and freedom and hope. That's what you have in Christ when he's building your life. And then on top of it, we get him in relationship and we get to finish with him. Then the second one is our author. Who is the author of your life? When you think of the, you know, the builder, who is the author of your life? Is he writing or are you or maybe others? Paul in the Corinthian church, he talked about that we are living epistles. That's why I think that that word that Doug had was so right, is the, is the pen that looks differently, but it's got the same ink. It's, we are we are children of God, and we are covered by the blood of Christ who, who shed this precious blood. And when we give our lives to him, we become his living letters. Who is your life authored by? Is it authored by you, your circumstances, your past? Is it authored by who someone else says you are? Jesus wants to be the author. Again, this is a control issue. He wants to be in control of the story of your life. It's interesting. An editor makes grammatical corrections. They don't add or take away from the story. They just kind of make corrections. And sometimes we like to author, and then we want Jesus to be our editor. We're authoring the story, and then we get messed up, and we say, oh, Jesus, can you fix this, please? And then that, there again, then that becomes a circumstantial walk with Christ. Then our Christianity is based on our circumstances. And then he becomes kind of the genie and saying, oh, God, help me. I'm in trouble. And then 
we're running to him because we're, we, we've got ourselves into a mess. And again, not that he doesn't love us, not that he won't come in and rescue us, but he wants that day-to-day walk with us. He wants to be the author so that he does not have to be your editor. Because when he authors, there's no corrections that need to be made. We just continually bring our lives to him. Now, he does correct us. I'm not talking about discipline. He, he does bring correction. But when he's authoring the story, he doesn't make mistakes. Again, this is an issue of control. How many times do we want to write stuff or add stuff? We don't like how he may be doing something. I don't like that part of the story. Can I tear that page out? And God is like, no. I want to author this. I'm going to make this a part of who you are. I'm going to redeem it. And he desires to author us daily. This is why it takes that surrender, giving him, walking humbly every day, handing Jesus the notebook of your life and the pen and saying, I want you to author it. I want you to write. I want you to lead. I want you to guide. I want you to show me what you want me to do because that's going to be the best place for me. And then he gently pries that out of our hands because it's a control thing. And he begins to write the story of our lives. Who is writing your life? Who's building your life? And this brings us down to to, to how we're going to close today. And I encourage you as you take this message into your hearts, what is our response to Jesus today? I'd say this, you'll repent of those areas of your life where you have been in control. Repent of the sin of control. Repent of covering up and just trying to pull off looking good. And when I say repent, you know what? That means just turn from what you were doing. Turn toward him. It's a loving thing. Repentance is a beautiful, beautiful exchange. That word has gotten a lot of negative play, and we just see angry people on street corners yelling out repent or or burn. You know, it's just... Don't listen to that. Repentance is an incredibly beautiful exchange between you and Jesus. Lord, I'm walking this way. I'm in control. I'm dealing with this sin. I'm going to reject it. I'm going to turn to your way. And he lovingly wraps you in his arms and says, now we can do this. That's what repentance is. But turn away from that stuff. Confess it with your mouth and confess it in your heart. But how do you want to finish? How do you want to finish your race? Do you want to finish with you being the builder only to find that your house is in shambles? Do you want to finish with your hands gripped tightly to the pen and the notebook and find that you have regretful, painful endings to your story? Or would you like to finish with joy? Would you like to finish with contentment and passion and courage? I know how I want to finish, and I tell you right now, folks, it is always about, and it will be this, who is in control. He wants to be the author and the finisher of our faith. In verse 3 of Hebrews 12, it says this, consider him. Because you know control is tiring? (laughs) When we're in control, it's exhausting because we were never meant to have it. Release control to him today. I want to read this passage from Hebrews 12 again. Verse 3 says, consider him who endured so much opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart because the enemy wants you to grow weary and lose heart and finish horribly. But here's the, here's the cool thing. Consider him. Consider him. Here's the, uh, the author of Hebrews. Consider him. He's saying, look to Jesus. Look at the cross. Look at how much he endured. Look at what he went through for you and for me. More than we could imagine. He went through persecution and shame and hatred and ridicule and opposition. But he did it for us. And so 
The author of Hebrews is saying this, run to him, consider him, love him, walk with him, give up control of your life to the author and the perfecter of your faith because he wants to author and build your life and you will never ever regret making that decision. I promise you. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Lord, today, um, God, I know I said a lot, but I pray that we would consider you. We would look to you. We would give up control to you. Lord, we say fun things and we laugh, but Lord, forgive us because we really are control freaks at times. We're going along fine and then we grab control from your hand and then we want to do it. And uh, God, help us. Forgive us for that. I want to pray for you today. If God is putting his hand on something specific in your life today, something that maybe struck a chord in your heart and you want prayer, if it's a control issue, whatever, and you say, I just need to, I need to repent of some things and I just need to get some things right, will you just raise your hand? Thank you for those hands. Thank you for the courage of doing that. I want to pray for you right now because God, more than more than magic of hands, God sees your heart. Father, and I pray for those that just raised their hand. Lord, I thank you for their lives. Lord, I pray your blessing over them, God, as today as they just, Lord, in a loving way, just give you control because, Lord, I see your smile upon them. It's almost like Jesus takes control and he says, thank you because I love you and I want to lead you and I want to guide you. I want you to finish well. So, Lord, I pray, God, for courage to live that out every day. I pray that for all of our lives, God, because we want, we want to finish. We want to get to the end of our lives, God, and not have a bunch of regrets and pain. We want to finish with joy. We want to finish with those that love us around us, Lord. And the, somewhat of those tears of, of, of sorrow that we're going to temporarily miss each other, but we're going to be reunited in heaven. But tears of joy knowing that we live the life for you. So God, help us. We bless you today. We honor you. And we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Pray your blessing over our week this week. God, we would live for you intentionally, fixing our eyes on Jesus every day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.